tonight, we take a look at how Trump derangement syndrome manifests itself on the right. I'm Roaming Millennial, and you're watching Uncensored. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we are discussing Trump derangement syndrome. And no, I'm not referring to people on the left because as it turns out, TDS is a malady that is not restricted to merely one side of the political spectrum. That's right. In this episode, we are discussing those conservatives who proudly call themselves hashtag never Trump. And when some people hear the words conservative and never Trump together, they may think of people like Jennifer Rubin or Anna Navarro. And I'm not talking about those guys either. You see, in this episode, I want to talk about actual conservatives, not just people who happen to self-identify as conservatives. When it comes to Jennifer Rubin and Anna Navarro, people who haven't had a single point of agreement with conservatism since it seems like before I was born, I'm pretty sure the only reason they continue to call themselves conservatives is that the only way they can sell their tired, milquetoast liberal talking points to establishment outlets is as the disenfranchised conservatives who just so happen to agree with every single thing the left does and disagree with every single thing the right does. Funny that. But no, the people who I want to focus on in this video are actually those like Bill Kristol, a neoconservative who actually has the gall to claim that Trump is everything currently wrong with the right-wing movement. Are you serious? This coming from a guy who seems to be following the Lindsey Graham School of International Relations, where if something moves and has oil, we should probably bomb it. Seriously though, a quick scroll through Crystal's social media pages shows that he is very firmly aboard the orange man bad train. In response to a Trump tweet announcing his speech at CPAC, Crystal gleefully said the grifter in chief blesses the lesser grifters. So here he's not only dissing the president of the United States who has delivered a record-breakingly strong economy and is the face of the Republican party, but he's also giving the middle finger to the rising stars of the conservative movement, those people at CPAC. So so to be clear, he not only hates Trump, he also hates those who support Trump, the people who made his presidency possible and who continue to rally around him. That's important to keep in mind. And he also saltily tweeted, Conservatives have spent over half a century disproving the claim that we are the stupid party. Now, under Trump, conservatism is embracing, indeed reveling in stupidity. To be honest, I've never actually heard Bill Kristol talk. I've only ever read his stuff, but um, based on what I have read, that is what his voice sounds like in my mind. The rest of Crystal's tweets essentially fall into two categories. A, trying to get someone to primary Trump in 2020, or B, rambling on and on about how Trump colluded with the Russians, even though there's still been no proof of that yet. Gosh. And now based on all of that, some of you guys may be thinking, wow, it kind of seems like Bill Crystal just hates winning and being right. And you're right. It it kind of does. As amusing as his social media feed is though, if you want to know the true depths of Crystal's Trump derangement syndrome, then you have to look to The Bulwark. You see, The Bulwark is an online publication where Crystal serves as editor-at-large, and it is essentially an entire website dedicated to never-Trumpers never trumping. The tagline of the site is conservatism conserved. And in an about us section written by the site's editor-in-chief, Charlie Sykes, it said that, quote, George Orwell once observed that to see what is in front of one's nose needs 
a constant struggle. And what is in front of our nose at the moment is that the president of the United States is a serial liar, a narcissist, and a bully. A con man who mocks the disabled and women. A man with no fixed principles who has the vocabulary of an emotionally insecure nine-year-old. Lots of Republicans, even the ones who defend him publicly, say these things quietly. Our mission will be to say them out loud and encourage others to do so as well. We're long past the time for anonymous op-eds. The task now is not to continually degrade and adjust our standards to accommodate Trump, but rather to push back against the moral and intellectual corruption that now poses an existential threat to conservatism as a viable political force. We face a complicated challenge today, not merely resisting the pressures of the left, but also a conservative movement that is being driven by grifters into a dark hole of nativism, protectionism, isolationism, and fabulism. As much of the right descends into sophism and trollery, we will be a forum for rational, principled, fact-based conservative commentary. Yeah, when I said this was an entire website dedicated to Never Trumpers, I wasn't being hyperbolic. That's like in their mission statement. Heck, that is their mission statement. And I just want to say here that it is okay and totally acceptable to be a conservative, to be on the right and have criticisms of Trump. The right isn't some cult and everybody, especially politicians, should be open to criticism. Nobody's perfect and even I myself have spoken out against Trump when he's done something that I've disapproved of. For example, I didn't like that he bombed Syria and I said so and I didn't like that he called someone horseface and I said so. It, it is that easy to speak up when you disagree with someone. And similarly, in that same vein, conservatism shouldn't be a monolith of thought and we shouldn't be purity testing people so they conform to an ideological standard. For example, conservatives should all be on board with securing the border, but we can disagree on whether a wall is the best way to do that. So when it comes to my criticisms of these people, really, it's not that I think that everyone on the right has to be wearing their MAGA hat all the time. It's just when you look at what these people are actually saying about Trump and the reasons why they seem to hate him so much, it really does seem just like Trump derangement syndrome by any other name. Like, okay, you don't like Trump as a person. I can understand that, but how can you deny that he has done more to advance the conservative agenda than any other president in a very, very long time? And that is what frustrates me so much about these never Trumpers and why, frankly, I'm going so hard on them right now and being a little bit mean. I know I am, but it seems like they hate Trump more than they love conservatism. And that is worrying. Like the demagogues on the left, these people want Trump to fail even at the expense of the well-being of the country. Just check out this article. Leading up to the State of the Union address that was broadcast in February, Rick Wilson wrote your guide to tonight's Trumpian word vomit. Meaningless words will be uttered by a man who sits on a throne of lies. In the article, Wilson scathingly writes, at this very moment, a small army of White House aides is scrambling, circled around a computer in an office in the West Wing, pecking out a state of the crap show speech they hope will capture the voice of a president more given to grunts than the lofty rhetoric of presidents. Here's a spoiler, their work won't matter. That's not merely because when the Trump administration sends us their speech writers, they're not sending their best. They are sending the indifferently educated, culturally buffoonish, shiftier dregs of authoritarian nationalist fanboys Donald Trump manages to recruit from random bus stations, hobo squats, and Turning Point USA Trump Young Pioneers camps. Yeah, guys, this isn't Salon or HuffPo you're reading. This is a site by conservatives. The article continues that this racial arsonist, insult comic president who lives in a bubble of rage tweeting and grade school name calling has one quality we can all acknowledge, gall. 
So don't be surprised when the most divisive, destructive, and dickish president in American history stands on the floor of the House tonight and issues a call for unity, comedy, and civility. And finally, Wilson concludes that America will be watching tonight to see a master class in defining the presidency way, way down. Ever the showman, Trump can't help but disappoint. And in case any of you guys missed the State of the Union address, here are some clips of that clownish, dickish speech that Wilson was so eager to see fail. Our new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, the U.S.-MCA, will replace NAFTA and deliver for American workers like they haven't had delivered to for a long time. An economic miracle is taking place in the United States, and the only thing that can stop it are foolish wars, politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations. All Americans can be proud that we have more women in the workforce than ever before. We also have more women serving in Congress than at any time before. Oops, turns out the speech was, what is it the kids say? Oh yeah, thebomb.com, and don't just take my word for it. Here's a ratings report from CBS News, which if you're familiar with it, is anything but a Trump apologist site. According to their poll, 76% of viewers approved of the speech and just 24% disapproved. And for people who claim to be conserving conservatism, the folks at the bulwark seem to be at odds with their ideological peers. 97% of Republicans approved of the speech speech, and 82% of independents did. Meanwhile, only 30% of Democrats approved. Huh. You guys really sure it's conservatism you're conserving, not just a leftist screeching? And look, I get being against Trump in 2016, especially during primary season. I supported Cruz. I didn't think Trump would do a good job. But the real reason that so many people approved of the State of the Union address isn't just because of good speechwriters. It's because of good policy that the Trump administration has implemented or helped to implement. And in case any of you never Trumpers were too busy circle jerking with your progressive friends in the establishment media to notice any of these achievements, let's take a look at some right now. From the White House website under the Trump administration, we are seeing more Americans employed now than ever recorded before in history. More than 400,000 manufacturing jobs created. Economic growth last quarter at 4.2%. Unemployment claims at a 49-year low. Median household income at its highest level ever recorded. African-American unemployment recently at its lowest rate ever recorded. Hispanic American unemployment at its lowest rate ever recorded. The lowest top marginal tax rate for small businesses in more than 80 years. Record number of regulations eliminated. Obamacare individual mandate penalty gone. NATO allies spending 69 billion more on defense than in 2016. And net exports on track to increase by 59 billion dollars this year. Again, I get it. You don't need to like Trump as a person and you don't need to like everything that he does. But this level of opposition is insane. These people are more opposed to Trump than they were to Obama. Let that sink in. And what is so funny yet sad is that these neocons, these people who essentially turned two full generations of young people off of the Republican Party, they're afraid that Trump is the one that is killing the future of the conservative movement. 
Okay. As Christian Vanderbrook writes, the Republican establishment has learned nothing. How a buried report about the 2012 election can save the GOP. In regard to Donald Trump's 2016 victory, the article says that, quote, Republicans should question whether a strategy that depends on activating white voters is durable. Conservatives should wonder what they will be asked to sacrifice to maintain a coalition based on culture and ethnicity as opposed to shared ideals. And referencing the 2018 midterm elections, Vanderbrook writes that, quote, exit polls showed that Democratic margins among women, racial minorities, and younger voters exceeded the autopsy-triggering 2012 vote or even the election of Barack Obama in 2008. And the article continues that, quote, the angry populism that inflames the pro-Trump right is not a new phenomenon. Ron Paul, the Tea Partiers, and Pat Buchanan have taken turns with the pitchforks, but their grievances have bounced erratically between economics, foreign intervention, and white identity politics. Populism is like the flu, it comes and it goes. It brings fever to the body politic, and it takes a different form the next time around. Intermittent and shape-shifting passions cannot be the foundation of a major political party, not least a conservative one. You can complain about Trump all you want. You can call Trump toxic, but he did what your beloved political insiders like McCain and Romney didn't, and that's win. And you can complain that Trump is alienating minorities, but he did better with them than Romney did. And do you want to know why Republicans lost the House in 2018? <laughs> it wasn't because of Trump. It was because of weak-willed establishment Republicans like Jeff Flake, who preferred to throw a hissy fit and make the party look like a laughing stock instead of get anything done even though they had both houses in Congress. Plus, anti-Trumpers like you guys who furthered the ridiculous media narrative that Trump is some racist Russian puppet psychopath. I'm sorry, but these guys at the bulwark are the worst parts of liberalism and conservatism combined. These people wouldn't know what winning looked like if it hit them in the face. These people don't just hate Trump, they hate anyone on the right who's trying to turn the movement into something young and fresh and relatable. I don't mean to get emotional or upset about this, but from their embrace of people like Mitt Romney, it's pretty clear that if these guys had their way, they would turn conservatism into a dying ideology. But that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.